from the Lettuce Ravage Studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another slimy hour of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Are your plants being eaten overnight? Your first suspects should be slugs and or snails. And so, on today's show, we'll reveal that there must be 50 ways to kill your sluggies and warn you about one often recommended tactic you should not employ, lest kidney cancer come calling. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right. Potential guests are busy buying copper flashing. So we will take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and decidedly delicate denunciations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here because it's all coming up faster than you saving your garden with a flashlight and lettuce leaves right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem. P.A. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to tell you how to get rid of slugs, one of the biggest and often unseen garden pests, organically. But before that, lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Jessica, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks. Well, thank you, Jess. How are you doing? I'm doing just ducky. How are you, Mike? Oh, double ducky. <laughs> and we've got ducky in the studio, and he has a brand new mask on so you can see his eyes. And, um, you know, social distancing from the robot. We're doing good here. Where, where is Jessica? I'm in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. Mushroom soil capital of the world. That's right. You can smell it just about everywhere around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I live about five miles from a chocolate factory. And Ooh. I thought I was going to like the smell of chocolate, but, you know, it's too much on a hot summer day. <laughs> yeah, it, would, it sounds really good. It's probably much better than the aromas around here. But, you know, we get used to it. Yeah, yeah. And it's life in the air. We could all use a little life these days. Yeah, you got that right. All right, what can we do for Jessica in Kennett Square, which I, I should mention is also the home of the fabled Longwood Gardens. And, you know, you're not far from maybe 20 other horticultural show places, you know. It's really a treat living around here. There's so many to choose from. You just have your pick. Oh, yeah, There's you can't. Longwood and... Yeah, Can't you just drop yourself and... down on any highway, and you can't swing a dead cat without hitting one of those uh, botanic <laughs> gardens. You know. <laughs> well, <clears throat> my question today, Mike, is about birdseed. Yes. I've heard you talk a lot about birdseed in the past and um, different things that are good for our birds, which is definitely what I'm interested in. So right. my question is about um, their castings or, or their shells that mm -hmm. um, are left behind? That's an um, excellent question because there's a very interesting answer 
that very few people are aware of. Uh, the higher quality bird seed, as you know, is the big black oil sunflower seeds. Right. Well, it turns out that the seeds in the shells are allopathic. They actually stunt the growth of many other plants, just like the roots of black walnut trees do to tomatoes and many other plants. So the spillings underneath a bird feeder not only attract mice, rats, and voles, um, they put plant-damaging, naturally occurring chemicals into the soil. Hmm. Now, so is, is it important for me to get rid of them? Yes, yes. But okay. even more important, I would suggest you follow kind of the new rules of birding, which people okay. don't want to do, but I think it's more important to do what's necessary for the birds than for some false sense of amusement. And it is crit your timing is so perfect. Thank you. Because we're now entering the period where birds are nesting and pretty soon their young will be hatching out. Uh, the Humane Society, many other groups are begging people at least not to feed seed during this crucial period because the baby birds don't develop the necessary habits, uh, native intelligence of finding uh, wild food in the woods or all around. And obviously there's plenty of that food around or we wouldn't have all these birds to begin with. Then if you really wanna do a mitzvah for the birds, they have no problem finding fresh food in the summer, but fresh water can become scarce. So having a bird bath or eight and keeping their water nice and fresh and clean is something that'll make the birds happier and healthier than artificial food. Then when we get to the cold weather, now's the time to feed the birds, but not with, not with, my mouth stopped working. Now's the time not to feed them with seed, but to feed them with suet cakes. Hang suet cakes all over your property. You will see more birds than you thought possible. Uh, chickadees, the nut thatch, six or eight different kinds of woodpeckers, house wrens. Um, in the wintertime, the birds that stay, that don't migrate, they need good resources of protein and fat to get through the winter and suet provides that. And you know, a lot of fancy cakes of suet, they have like berries and nuts and stuff pressed into them, that's fine. But that really keeps the birds that you want around because they're all meat-eating birds. The, you know, cute little chickadee, the fat little blackbird that runs up and down the sides of your trees, that is the black panther of the bird world. Chickadees, <laughs> chickadees eat two to three times their own weight in insect pests huh. every right. day. They, they have to because you can see how much energy they're burning and they have small bodies. Sure. So you feed them suet over the winter and then as soon as the weather warms up, you take the suet feeders down. The birds are not gonna leave. They've already taken up residence. They've already picked where they're gonna put their nest. 
They've registered the kids in the local school district. They're going to just switch over from suet to eating your pest insects, including some of the worst, which are these insects that bore into trees and slowly destroy them. That's what mm -hmm. woodpeckers and chickadees are specialists at. And you will see okay. birds all over the place in the morning and in the evening. Um, my Diane and I, we live inside an opera house. It is it's awesome. almost insane. I mean, we'll hear 30 different birds calling to each other at any, at any given time. And they love nesting near the house. So I, have, I did feed seed years and years ago. I haven't put a seed feeder out in many decades. And I assure you that my bird population has tripled simply by fresh right. water in the summer and keep the suet cakes out in the winter. All right. I have, I have a nice list here. So the, can I ask about the actual shells that I do have? Am I able to throw them in my compost pile or should I put them in the trash? Boy, that's really an interesting question. Um, and, and you're just talking about the shells, right? The, the inner part right. has been eaten? Yes. Huh. Would the, would the compost degrade those naturally occurring chemicals? I wouldn't put black walnut leaves or roots into my compost. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I would say either throw them in the trash or go find an ugly invasive plant and mulch it. Ooh, that's a fun them. journey. Right? right. Yeah, wild yeah. wisteria or wild grapes, something like that. <laughs> sure. It's, I've noticed um, when they collect kind of under the feeder that they just don't seem to break down like other things do. And I do compost and try to follow your rules as best mm -hmm. I can. And, and I notice how, kind of how things break down after having done it for a few years. And um, the sunflower shells just seem to always kind of be there. That's another sign so, that, yeah, you don't want them there. Yeah. And that's okay. the way you learn composting, by the way, just by doing it over and over again. It's like public speaking. Everybody's bad at it the first couple of times, but sooner or later, you get good at it. Yeah, I think the best thing I've learned there is just to ignore it and, and leave it alone. I think that's one of your best tips is yeah. not not be too bored and and, yeah, and <laughs> ruin your garden. busy in other ways. <laughs> exactly. All right, right, but I think I think if you follow the new rules on birding, you'll be very happy. I love this idea. I'm going to work on these bird baths. I'm going to have plenty of things to, for them to eat in, in suet form and try to get some woodpeckers and chickadees to the backyard. Very good. Very good. All right. Good luck well, to you. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, you too. Well, it is springtime, cats and kittens. Time to go out there and get your hands in the dirt. Get those tomatoes and potatoes in the ground. Do you have questions about how to do that? Of course you do. So what do you do with those questions? You call 833-727-9588 and say, you bet your garden. Help me out, Mike, and I will.
Diana, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, good morning, Mike. Hello, Diana. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I am just ducky, thank you for asking. And uh, where is Diana fine? I am phoning from Powell River in British Columbia. Oh. It's a small coastal town. It's beautiful up there, isn't it? It's gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. Paradise. Great. What can we so, do you for? Well, I enjoyed your book on growing tomatoes very much. Oh, thank and you. I'm saving up my eggshells as we speak. Good, good. So is everybody else in my family. But I grow my tomatoes in a greenhouse because we do get quite a bit of rain and um, they're susceptible to the late blight. And I just was wondering if you could give me some advice on watering tomatoes in the greenhouse. Yes. Um, I don't think I'm doing it right. I'm watering every day. Oh, that's, to that's totally wrong. Yeah. Now, um, you're not alone. When I was in Southeast Alaska, I spent some time down there with the master gardeners. Um, as you know, you, you can grow great cabbages and salad greens and stuff outside, but you need the extra heat from a greenhouse uh, yeah. to get decent tomatoes. Now, um, how are you growing your tomatoes? Are they up on a bench in the center of the greenhouse? Are they planted in the ground inside the greenhouse? Yeah, my greenhouse sits on the ground, and the tomatoes are planted in the ground around the perimeter of the greenhouse, just as if I would plant anything in the ground. Okay, so. good. Okay, so how do you water now? I usually go out early every morning and water. But how, specifically? Walk me through. Oh, with, a, with, a ho with a hose at the ground level. Okay. I don't let it touch the leaves. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you make the next step then and invest in some drip irrigation lines? You wouldn't have to bury them inside a greenhouse. You could get the kind that uh, either have little holes in them or that actually sweat the water out. And then there would be no possibility of any kind of splashing and you'd get the most bang for your buck. How often would I run that? How hot does the greenhouse get? Maybe in the 80s. But okay. last summer was very hot, and it was well into the high 90s for a few weeks. Okay, and how can you vent your greenhouse? What can you do to release that heat? Well, it has two vents in the roof, and it has a side vent, and I leave the door open. Okay, so that's good. Are the roof vents automatic, or they work on a, just Yeah, a... they're automatic. Okay, so you're in really good shape. And the plants will tell you, I would run the drip, drip irrigation for a few hours twice a week. That's what I, I would that's what I would start okay. at. If you're watering every day, um, you're going to have shallow root systems because the roots aren't trying to follow the water line into the ground. You could be causing overwatering problems. Your 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 region is not dry. There's a lot of moisture in the air. So overwatering would be a bigger problem than underwatering. Now you mentioned late blight. I I hope you don't mean that. Late blight is um, when the leaves get greasy stains on them, then the fruit gets brown stains on them, and then within a few days all the plants are dead. That's not what you have in the greenhouse. No, that's not what I would get. I would get more the tomatoes would get that the black spots on them and the tomatoes would rot but not the plants. Huh. But I don't have that anymore because I don't have them outside in the rain. 
Okay. You mentioned uh, my eggshell trick. Uh, that's putting uh, a dozen crushed eggshells in the planting hole to avoid blossom end rot. Do you think maybe that was your problem in the past? It, it, was it blossom no, end? No. No? Completely different problem. But I haven't, I have really haven't had it for years because I've only been growing uh, under shelter. Yeah. But I did have a, a serious problem with blossom end rot last year. But, you know, my tomatoes last year were small and the Skins were very thick, like unpalatably thick, hard mm -hmm. to eat thick. Huh. Do you think that's from my watering technique or because it got too hot in there? I just It, it could be variety driven. Just keep good notes and don't grow those tomatoes again. No, I think okay. you're doing exactly the right thing. Put eggshells in the planting hole, uh, bury the plant deep, uh, make sure it gets good and vented on those super hot days restrict water rather than go overboard. But in your climate, you're doing exactly the right thing with that greenhouse to get good tomatoes. Okay, great. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. All right. You have a good season. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that you are listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden, which it originally, which, ori which originally aired back in March of last year. But you probably don't remember any of it because I sure don't. So don't go wondering where your car keys are just yet because we'll be right back with 50 ways to stop slugs and snails and more of your sluggish phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to tell you how to get rid of slugs. In the meantime, we're going to try to take that heap and helping at 833-727-9588. Jennifer, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Jennifer. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, escaping and gardening this year. Well, you know, I just talked to a friend of mine out in Colorado, and she said she waited a little bit too long to buy her seeds, and a lot of the yes. stuff she wants is sold yep. out. This is going to be yep. a record gardening year. Uh, people are turning to their gardens, both to yeah. get out of the freaking house <laughs> exactly, and, and because they're scared that they may run out of toilet paper, but more important, <laughs> they'll at least have tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. I don't and know what the connection is, kids. It's just we're all getting a little squirrely now. 
we are. So uh, where is Jennifer getting squirrely? I'm getting very squirrely in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Um, you're kind of in a hot spot. Um, yeah, well, I try to, you know. You try <laughs> not to myself. think of that. Thank you for bringing I it do. up, Mike. Yeah. I do, yeah. I try to hide from the bad news because it's, you know, makes it a little rougher. But, yeah, no, we're we're... We're doing up here. <laughs> uh, you know, if we if we watch the news, it's for a little bit every night, and then we yep. watch reruns of the original Star Trek to kind of you know cleanse yep. cleanse our brains. You know. Yep. Yep. We've been watching like The Office and just something funny. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Well, there's nothing funnier than Spock raising that one eyebrow. I mean, you know. <laughs> That's true. Leonard Nimoy did that uh, better than anybody, kids. He, he really did. All right, Jen. What can we do you for? Well, I am a beginner a vegetable gardener. I mm -hmm. just finally built my beds this past weekend. Excellent. Um, yes, I've been. I wanted to do it last year, didn't get to it, so I did it this year. I'm completely new. I'm completely clueless, so it's like the complete beginner <laughs> questions here. But so I just had the beds, uh, like three three beds made, um, and my well, neighbor. One is too big. One is too <laughs> small. Oh, no, no. The, and the, the other is just, just right. right. <laughs> now, I built the two, and I have this old one that I never put together from before. It's like a two-foot-by-eight-foot one okay. um, that I decided to just – I had extra dirt. So I was like, let me just put this in together because it's thinner sure. wood. Um, so I just threw it together. And it, that one's actually split in – and has like a divider in the middle, which is actually my, part of my question here. But um, so my neighbor – I hadn't even planted anything yet because we were supposed to get that big wind, crazy storm um, – Oh, yeah. Yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I just waited. But I, my neighbor on, I think it was Saturday, gave us a kind of long, um, like almost like a, almost like a window box size planter. It had garlic, beets, kale, and parsley that he dug up from his garden and gave it to us. Huh. So I don't, and the garlic is like, you know, like grown. It's, it, you know, it has like, you know, eight, I mean, like 10, 10 inch long, you know, stems and everything's grown. But I was reading about it, and I was reading that it's really not okay to transplant it garlic. Is, it doesn't do well. It is incredibly difficult, as okay. would be the transplanting of beets. Yes, but, and that's what I read. But you would see the results pretty quickly, you know, if if all okay. of a sudden the above-ground growth got limp. And if you don't see that, your neighbor is a very talented gardener. Yeah, no, it's already limp, which is my... Well, I mean, like, especially the beets. The beets are, like, the leaves are, like, completely limp. Because I haven't put them in yet because, like I said, we had, like, the storm coming. So I've had it outside. I've but they, they are night. planted, right? Yes, they're planted in yeah, in soil in this big kind of oh, So you want to save them by replanting these things that couldn't be planted, replanted in the first place. Hey, well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, should I plant them in my garden? Nah. Uh, it's, nah. No. How tall were the beet greens? The bee greens, I'd say, is like, like 8 to 10 inches. Okay. So the nice thing about beets is if you can see it, you can eat it. Beets, okay, yeah. beets are ripe from as soon as you can see the bulb underground. And if you, oh. if you harvest the greens before they get all wilty, the greens are great in salads and sandwiches. There are some varieties of beets that are grown mostly for the greens. Okay. They're very nutritious, very tasty, and something that really only gardeners appreciate because you don't see beet greens for sale. Although, right. when I buy beet greens off-season at Whole Foods, sometimes 
the greens are in remarkable shape, and I try to use those right away. Okay. Yeah, these are already limp. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's limp. yeah. Well, you can um, put them in a bowl of ice water for okay. for like an hour, and then uh, uh, try cutting them up with a little salad dressing and see what they taste like. You know, they okay. they're going to get limp with salad dressing anyway. Right now, so do you think the beets the underneath are okay or no? Oh yeah. Well, if if they look like beets, eat them. You okay, know. so I should take them out. I should take them out now? Yeah, there's no reason okay. to leave those there. They're not going to get any better. And okay. then bake those or stir fry them, whatever you want to do. There's no yeah. bad way to eat beets. The garlic's right. another story. Just pull it up. See what's underground. It's probably going to look like a leek or a scallion. So just, you know, cut whatever's left of the roots off and chop up everything that looks decent and put that in a stir fry and you'll get a mild garlic flavor. Okay, so I and can't then, save it. No, then don't worry yeah. about it. I mean, you know. I love garlic. And he said it was just like good garlic from he ordered from somewhere or something. So I was all excited about it. I was like, oh, Well, he should have left garlic. it in the ground and given you I, real good cloves uh, in, in, in the midsummer. So I, I know. He just like gave it to us. I was like, okay. So I was not sure to do with it. Have you seen his garden? No, actually it was my husband. He We live in like the woods. So it, my husband takes walks. So he lives like probably like a half mile down the road my husband was walking and ran into him and then he told him to come by later and get he said he'd give us some stuff so well, i, I actually haven't seen it he, but he does have a greenhouse i don't know if he's growing these in the greenhouse no or... no he's not growing them in the greenhouse but that just okay. that just shows that he has a serious addiction yeah yeah but um see if um you or your husband or somebody can uh, walk over there and catch his eye and take a look at the garden and see how much garlic he has in the ground and bum some cloves, uh, bum some okay. bulbs from him where you are probably early July. You know, okay. he, he should know how to harvest garlic and okay. see if he'll share some with you. And then you just keep it cool and dry and replant the biggest cloves, single cloves, in your garden um, around the 1st of September. Okay. And then you'll harvest your own garlic in July, and you save the biggest cloves from that, replant them, any little cloves used for cooking so you see what it tastes like. Okay. And then just keep doing that over and over, and it won't be long before you have 50 to 100 plants. Oh, good. And okay, garlic is the most fun you can have. I love garlic, so I really wanted to plant it. And that's the thing, I looked at like the A to Z on the Gardens Alive, and it was I think I read just like briefly somewhere that you said it should be like planted alone, like not with other veggies, like in its own bed. Oh, That's yeah, correct? yeah, because okay. you have to harvest it in late June, early July. What's that going to do to the tomato growing in the same roots? Right, okay. Because I was thinking that that small bed I have, it has that like divider like halfway through. So I was like, maybe I could put it in like one side of that. You can put it, yeah, whatever, you know, maybe he'll give you 10 bulbs. Put it in both sides. Go to town. Yeah. Have a, have a garlic my, party. I, I would love to have a garlic bed. That would be great. Okay, so. And the kale dry. should look fine. The, well, the kale's in us. I know it's been sitting there since Saturday. It's okay. Some of it in the middle is okay. Then it has, like, yellowing leaves around. Well, then, you know, it, the it just, he, he had good intentions. But, you know, transplanting is, is. Not so much a science as an art. You got to, you just got to get the hands to get good at it. I don't know how to explain it really, but yeah. kale grows really quickly. Kale probably goes the grows the fastest 
of anything I've ever done from seed. My okay. partner loves kale. And yeah, my friend who runs J.O. Hudson Seeds out in California, I told him that, and he sent me like eight different kales. So, mm. you know, maybe you want to take that double bed of yours and just plant kale like it was a lawn. Get the, okay. get the big packages and put one uh, type on one side, one type on the other. And again, as with beets or beet greens, as soon as you see the plants, you can eat them. So okay. if you're into microgreens or anything like that, you can do what we call eating your thinnings. Okay. You can take the plants out when they're still babies to make room for the ones that you're going to let grow, rinse mm -hmm. the dirt off, and eat them like sprouts. Okay. I love kale. Um, yeah, a ton of it. Yeah. And a kale, <laughs> okay, so kale so is... That I should just eat and not... not I'm just going to eat that. I'm not going to try to plant that. Yeah. Eat what you okay. got. Eat, okay. eat the... Eat, okay. So I'm not... Okay. Nothing's being transplanted. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I was wondering, because the other thing I was going to ask you, so I went to my, I was wondering with this, and I went to my garden center the other day, because I love all the cool weather vegetables. Right. So I thought I was, like, really behind on schedule, because I was building my beds, and I wasn't in time, so I wanted to hurry up and get some in the ground. But then they told me that I shouldn't put the transplants, because I bought some kale, I bought some arugula, I bought some, mm -hmm. whatever, stuff like that. And then... She told me I shouldn't put it in the ground until it's consistently 40 degrees at night, which is No, not. that's nonsense. So that's nonsense. They're okay. cool weather crops. Well, it, that's what I thought. It so may I like, be, they may take a little time to sprout if the soil's cold, but they love cold weather. I mean, that's, yeah. that's why they call them snow peas, because it's not unusual to see a little bit of snow around the plants. Okay, because this is their garden center, and they told me, no, no. keep this stuff no, bring once, it in at night until we're... No, okay. no, no, that's nonsense. Uh, the right. only thing you worry about is the summer crops. Uh, uh, tomatoes, peppers, cukes, melons. The nights have to be consistently in the 50s for them to go outside. Yeah. Okay, so I can plant these things. Yeah. All right. All right, All right. you have good luck. Enjoy your first year. Sometimes the first year is the most fun. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. The number to call, 833-727-9588. Tim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky today, Tim. Thank you for asking. How are you, sir? I am doing very well. It's a bit cold here in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, one of my favorite places. Great gardening community there. What can we do you for? All right, sir. So... Two years ago, I decided to build a raised bed for my uh, tomato garden, and I built a 4 by 16 raised bed, about one foot high bed. And the local garden center had suggested to fill that bed with um, a mix of two topsoil bags and one peat humus and one uh, manure bag. And I did that, but that year, did, I didn't have any good crop. I only had like. Yeah, you should not have tomatoes. listened to them. They should not have advised you. Was this an independent garden center, like a family-run place? Well, it was actually the uh, home improvement center. It was yeah, the, the nursery. And the yeah, you're never you're never going to do well there. You really you're going to get your best advice. You're going to get your best materials from family-run independent garden centers. These places need your business, too. The big box stores are, are killing them. Um, but when you go to a family-run independent garden center, 
those people have been working with plants for decades. When you go to a big box store, you know, I don't care if they've got a greenhouse outside, the person telling you that could have been working in air conditioning ductwork the day before. So, that the hard way. Yeah, exactly. Um, the peat moss is not a universal soil amendment. It's highly acidic, so it has to be tempered with lime or wood ash. You never want to use any kind of manure around fruiting plants. And you say the, the bed is four feet wide, which is great, but you say it's like 14 feet long? It was 16. Yeah, um, uh, well, you needed more than a couple of bags to fill that. Oh, well, I meant, no, no, I meant that's the ratio that I used, but oh. I filled, like, it was 120 bags is what I Oh, did. God, you poor guy. <laughs> um, and was it cow manure? Yeah, I, I, it, was, uh, it wasn't the pure cow manure. It was the, um, and I can't remember the name of it, it was just the one that is less um, uh, intrusive, if you will, or less... Um, yeah. Uh, so, so it was it was a rundown version, basically. Yeah, yeah. You got really bad advice. I'm sorry you had to spend all that money. What did the topsoil look like as it dried out once it got out of the bags? Was it still nice and dark, and did it feel it, loamy? It did not. No, actually, yeah. it was one of those regular topsoil, and it felt a little bit on the reddish. Being here in Oklahoma City, you have red soils, but yeah. it was mixed with some sort of a look like mulch or whatever. It was not. Oh, good lord! Yeah, right. yeah, you got taken, man. You got you you, so, you you just got taken, and you you got a raised bed full of junk right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. What so, I did last year is I actually removed about half a foot or, or six inches of that top oil, and I tried to replace it with just a regular vegetable and garden compost. Right. But I found out that compost that was uh, had bad reviews. It was uh, a bit of, of a mulch type. It wasn't really good compost. Now, um, yeah, Oklahoma City is actually, to many people's surprise, a real gardening mecca. Uh, do you ever go to the Botanic Garden in the middle of town? Yes, yes. Why don't you go there and ask their advice on a great place to get yard waste compost, compost made mostly from shredded leaves, no wood or anything like that in it. You may be able sure. to get it in bulk. They may have it there. Uh, there may be a municipal program that you can buy it or get it for free. And then as much of uh, your old junk as you're willing to take out, especially visible wood, um, you know, if you could get four to six inches of that out of there and replace it with compost, uh, your tomatoes would thrive. Okay. I will definitely do that. Like I said, I learned the hard way, so yeah. I'm trying to fix it up now. Yeah, well, without mistakes, we would never progress. That is correct. I like that. Did I just make that up? All right, Tim. <laughs> good luck to you, sir. Thank you. You too. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that you're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden, which originally aired back in March of last year. But you don't remember any of it, do you, cats and kittens? Because I sure don't. But don't go wondering where you put that bottle of ginkgo biloba just yet because we'll be right back with 50 ways to stop slugs and snails and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. 
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodell Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will get to a very important question of the week. It is the reason we chose this show to encore this week because it'll tell you how to control your slugs and snails. Very important advice after a very wet winter for most of us. Until then, however, more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Bruce, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thanks, Mike. This is Bruce in Blacksburg, Virginia, and I live low atop the Eastern Continental Divide. Oh, man. What kind of a view do you have? Mountains and valleys in most directions. Oh, that's sweet. All right. What can we do for Bruce in Blacksburg? This has been a wacky year for weather, and I'm curious about ways that the local environment can signal what the plants want me to do to them, mm-hmm. or with them, or for them. Things like pruning, what kind of cleaning up, or like leaf litter for people who might do treating plants of various sorts. Well, uh, plants need no treatment. I mean, that's just marketing. You know, who sprayed herbicides to help the wildflower fields? Uh, you know, who fed the Great Plains? Who was doing fungicides in the great hardwood forests of North America? No, most plants can take care of themselves. You mentioned a leaf litter. Um, the only time that becomes a problem is when leaves are allowed to collect on a lawn because they will mat down like a tarp and they'll smother portions of the lawn. And also those leaves are being wasted because they should be ground up and used as mulch or compost making. Now, if you have uh, big, say, deciduous trees that you think need a pruning, this is the perfect time to do it. Or you can wait till they start to green up, then wait two or three weeks to make sure a sudden frost doesn't come in, and then you can do it. That might be preferable because then you can see dead limbs and you know they come off first. Spring blooming shrubs should always, trees and shrubs should always be pruned right after they bloom. Things like forsythia, azaleas, rhododendrons, anything that really, uh, uh, ornamental cherry trees, things that really explode with flowers in the spring As soon as those flowers have faded, that's when you can open up the plant. That's when you can prune for shape. Um, With roses, you want to wait again until uh, they've been growing new growth for about two to three weeks. Make sure you're not going to get a surprise frost in there. And then prune out any bad-looking parts. Clean up underneath them. That is one plant that really does need to have a clean base and then put a, an inch or two of compost mulch underneath your rose plants. Roses sit up all night trying to figure out a new disease they can catch. But if they're mulched with compost, the compost will intercept uh, most diseases. 
Um, that's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all I do other than planting. Did you have any other concerns? Well, um, you know, some of this, it was shirt sleeve weather a couple days ago, then the obligatory rain came through, and the weather forecast is uh, sub-zero wind chills for tonight. Yeah. So calendars are kind of hard to trust, and I was wondering if there were some uh, lure, as there is in the world of fly fishing, which is my public vice. Right. Um as to what kind of cues might show up just in the environment about when a say um, a tree that's that's or a shrub that's more ornamental uh, than than flowering or a little of both needs to be cleaned out so that we can uh, avoid some of the the risk of the late frost that you mentioned earlier. Um, for example. Uh, I still have some fairly small Japanese maples, right. and I uh, there. So I want to get some basic shape in there and prune out uh, lots of little twiggy things. Right. So and I don't want to prune them too early, but I'd also like to <laughs> get the stuff done before the town comes and picks up its spring brush. Cleanup. Sure. The best time to do that would be in the middle of a real cold wave. You're right. You never go by the calendar. You go by the weather channel and you look at the 10 day forecast. The time to prune is when it's been cold for a couple of days and it's going to be cold for like another week. If all of a sudden it's going to be one of these things where nights are in the 20s and the next day is 80 degrees, you don't want to prune then because you're going to stimulate new growth with perhaps um, more cold weather on the way. Conversely, you can also simply wait until the tree leaves out, until all threat of frost is gone, and then you can do your pruning. With, with maples of any kind, it's always better to prune less than more uh, because they tend to bleed sap. Uh, the best time uh, to prune a maple would be dead of winter, um, you know, when there's absolutely no risk of uh, stimulating new growth. So again, with stuff that doesn't flower, dead of winter is your best bet. But as you point out, dead of winter can include an 80 degree day here and there. So just look at the long range forecast and try to do your work when it's gonna be relatively stable. Okay, that, that sounds cool. Because again, I was hoping that there'd be some great old folklore like- uh, When again, you see a cloud, in the sky that has that orange tint like Donald Trump's hair. Oh that is, that's when the first apple branch should be pruned and then curled around the top of your head like a laurel reef and you ring a bell three times. It's better to just uh, play your aces. Like I said, if it's not gonna bloom, dead of winter, if it does bloom right after it's finished blooming, if it's a late summer bloomer, then you can prune it again two to three weeks after it starts to green up and you won't harm the flowers. Okay. Well, great. Thank you very much. All right. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we are calling There Must Be 50 Ways to Kill Your Sluggies. Carol in Chesapeake, Virginia, who listens to us on WHRV, writes, I've been buying flowers and setting them outside in their original pots every spring, summer, and fall for the past 25 years, including geraniums, verbena, pansies, and zinnias. 
The past two years, however, I've had a terrible problem with snails eating the plants. I have tried nearly every remedy I could find on the internet with no success, including beer, coffee grounds, Epsom salts, sluggo, Vaseline around the tops of the pots, mothballs, garlic spray, eggshells, and the balls from sweet gum trees. We never saw snails previously and have not done anything significantly different in the areas around the pots. Well, before we address your Molluscan marauders, we have to review your internet list as a cautionary warning to others. There's no reason to expect coffee grounds, Epsom salts, or garlic spray to be effective against these pests, but at least they're safe. Mothballs are not safe. It's shocking that they're still for sale. These little balls of kidney cancer in a box are extremely dangerous to you pets, wildlife, and just about every living thing on the planet. Whatever site recommended them should be ashamed of itself. Now, let's take a closer look at your could-have-worked choices, starting with beer. Beer can be highly effective, especially when used as a diagnostic tool when you aren't sure what's causing overnight damage to your plants. Both snails and slugs work at night and thus often go undetected. Now, to use beer effectively, bury some small containers near the affected plants. Things like cat food cans and the little half-pint containers from the deli. Make them flush with the soil. You want to make it easy for the pests to fall in. Then, as evening falls, crack a fresh can of yeasty beer and fill those containers. Do not fill them during the day. They'll be useless by the evening. Do not use, quote, stale beer. Slugs and snails like stale beer about as much as you or I would. If this tactic proves to be effective, buy a case of the cheapest beer you can find, empty the containers of their dead drunken quarry every morning, and refill your traps every evening. Now, products like Sluggo and Escargo are pelletized yeast laced with iron phosphate. The slugs go for the yeast and then are incapacitated by the iron. A light sprinkling on the surface of the soil around your plants should be effective. Don't pile it up. Mist it slightly at dusk for optimum results. Vaseline, that's really interesting. I suspect the mollusks might actually find it comforting, as it's a lot like their slime. I can't see it hurting them. That brings us to eggshells and itchy balls. That's what we used to call those round spiked sweet gum tree seed heads when we threw them at each other as kids. Eggshells. There is some thought the slugs won't cross over a line of calcium, but for that to work, you'd have to crush the shells up very fine. A commercial product known as diatomaceous earth, or just DE, would be a much better choice. To us, it looks and feels like flour, but it's very sharp on a microscopic level. It needs to be bone dry to be effective. And if you surround the plants with enough itchy balls, I can't imagine snails trying to mollusk their way in. Now, you say you put out store-bought containers of plants. I suspect that because of their relatively small size, you're overwatering them or watering them at night which is the worst you can do just before the slugs go to work. Only water your plants in the morning and don't water them every day. Keep them a little bit on the dry side till this problem is taken care of. 
You can also try capturing the pests underneath wooden boards. The University of California Department of Agricultural and Natural Resources suggests laying down the boards with little stones or something holding them up about an inch off the ground. Slugs and snails will retreat to this easy protection at sunrise. Later in the day, you'll go out and scrape your catch into a bucket with some soapy water in the bottom. Taunt them as they drowned. Copper can be wildly effective. Slugs and snails get electrocuted when they touch copper, which is very cool to watch. You can buy thin strips of copper flashing at hardware and home improvement stores and wrap it around the outside lip of your containers. Wear good gloves, though. Copper flashing can be very sharp. Now, Martha Stewart once solved a similar problem by hot gluing copper pennies around the tops of her containers, which might be more workable if you transplant it into bigger pots to get a wider surface area to work with. Another option is to place lettuce leaves and citrus rinds on the ground around the pots and then go out late at night or early in the morning and collect it as the beasts are still feeding. Similarly, you can wet the plants down like blazes in the early evening and then go out at midnight with a flashlight and hand pick the pests. Now, be sure to check the undersides of your containers for snails in hiding and or their eggs. Snails and slugs love the moist, dark areas underneath pots. And finally, don't pour salt on them. Yeah, it makes them writhe and dissolve, and it's fun to watch, but it's also very bad for your plant. Well, that sure was some great information about marauding mollusks, now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be. Say it with me, cats and kittens. YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to escargot my garden greens if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find answers to all of your garden questions, audio and video of this show, audio and video of past shows, and our priceless podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he awoke one morning to discover that every object in his home had been stolen and replaced with an exact duplicate. A cautionary note on today's question of the week. Although it may seem like getting even, do not attempt to eat your garden slugs or snails. The snails that France has made famous, and which are delicious, have been farm-raised on a special diet 
that prevents them from forming the toxins that are present in the ones eating our lettuce and potato plants. Our plant-eating musical director is Ken Queter. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer, cheerful Charlie Sarah, is sequestered somewhere safe. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. And like us. Really, really like us. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick, who is camping out in her living room. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer, who gets paid to watch TV. Our harassed and harried director, Javier Diaz, he gets paid to watch Jake Boyer. Eric Werner is handling the phone calls from an undisclosed location. Okay, so we're just not sure where he lives, okay? Jake Morris is our one-man band. Zach the Tack Wisniewski says he's in the control room, but I don't see him. Our fearless leader, Tim Fallon, hasn't been seen since early March, and his video conference image appears to be a cardboard cutout. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, using my Wayback Machine to say I'll see you again next week. Or wait, maybe it should be, because this is an old show, next year. Or maybe a, w- a week and a year from the year and a week from... No, wait a minute. This show originally aired in March, so that's a year and... Let's see. Um, carry the seven. Uh, four and two is eight plus pi r squared. Ah, to heck with it. I'll see you next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? (gasps) Ready? (gasps) Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org.